All right, so coming in on the top ten on the show, we have Alexander Hackard and Danielle DiPicciato as Hackard DiPicciato. Both Alexander and Danielle have solo endeavors. You might recall the episode with Danielle and her solo album that came out earlier this year. In that episode, we go deep into her history and Alexander's history to some degree. So this episode, we stay on topic. We dive into the new record, which is The Silver Threshold. It's out now on all streaming platforms, and they got picked up by Mute Records, which is exciting because Danielle and Alexander are both thought-provoking, innovative artists that needs their signal amplified. Alexander and Danielle are both very inspiring. This was a fun conversation. We get into it. But before we get into the conversation, let's listen to the music. Here's a track from the new record.
Hacker DiPicciato, the silver threshold off the silver threshold. Before we get into it, if you guys can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast and all the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to inspiring artists and sharing those insights with you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Alexander and Danielle. Cool. Well, let's start it off. The new record is amazing. Thank oh. you. The Silver <laughs> Threshold. That it's like I've listened to a lot when I got ready to talk to you, Danielle. Um, uh-huh. To a lot of your guys' works, and like it's it's such an A B difference from like something like the Hitman's Heel, um, which oh, yeah. is I know that was the specific uh, kind of aim of a project. Um, and it it, it kind of seems like it's like the pinnacle of all your guys' like solo stuff put together in a way. I, is this, do you guys feel like this is a, a turning point with this record or is this a step in the process? I suppose it's a step in the, in the process. We're, you know, we, we're getting a little better at uh, <laughs> everything we do every day, I suppose. We try. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Um, yeah, well, we're, we're just really happy with the result and we are really happy with the fact that we are now signed to a really great record label that is distributing our music internationally and really helping us with, you know, making ourselves heard. And I mean, you know, we're, we're, we can tell that we're um, becoming more, um, we, we know more and more kind of like how we can do things and how we do things best and stuff. And it's basically, you know, work in, in progress always. And it, it always is. I mean, you know, if, as an artist, you can't really say, well, I've reached my pinnacle now because then it's over. <laughs> but but you, get, you do get a lot, you do get more efficient. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, at the beginning, it was a lot of experimentation and stuff. And Hitman's Heel was definitely like the first tiny step, like, what are we going to do together? And then Passiverantia was more kind of um, the album, the first album that we did in that direction. That was kind of like, okay, this is the direction we want to go. And it's just developing it from there. One, congrats on the the getting signed with Mute. Um, Because you guys, like... The kind of the last time we talked, Danielle, I think you guys wound up. I know you were living the nomadic lifestyle, and in to some degree, the do uh, performance, you kind of have to in a way. Like you're always moving, and like it seemed more efficient to kind of adapt to that lifestyle and just commit to where you are. Um, so the final record label, label, I can talk today, I promise. Um, the final <laughs> record label that can distribute, especially because you guys go everywhere across countries that's a big deal so congrats on that that's amazing thanks thanks um (laughs) i've listened to an interview alexander that you did i think with one of the guys from mute has mute like have these guys been kind of on your radar for a while oh we've you know we've known each other for for a long long time i've first met Daniel Miller, the founder and CEO of Mute, in the early 80s. And uh, my band Einstürze Neubauten have released uh, albums with Mute in the past. Crime in the City Solution was on Mute Records. Um, Danielle and I did a project of theater music in 2014 that was also released by Mute Records. So, And also Daniel Miller lives in Berlin now. 
and we've been, you know, we've been friends for a long time. Okay, so uh, it's it's been kind of like it's going to happen at one point then. <laughs> well, not necessarily. I mean, he had been listening to what we were doing for a couple of years. Um, and he's not one to like say, okay, you know, you're my friend. I'm, that's why I'm going to sign you. He's a little bit more picky than that. And uh, he really liked the way I think the current was heading the last album we did. And so then um, when we started talking to him last year, um, he was like, he really likes the direction and he'd be interested in signing us. That's awesome. Well, that's cool. Cause then, you know, it's, he means it. And like uh, yeah. as as a friend, and I guess seeing him work on on his own projects, and knowing kind of which one he picks and chooses from you guys, it's it's kind of like a almost like a this is gonna work. You guys are doing it right. Like I, I don't know, it's hard to when you're doing like in a, in a creative output. There's like the band, the the small group of friends that support what you're doing and what you think is the best thing that you can do. And like, but they get kind of like a, a more a type A person, like a struct, not that he is, I don't know him that way, I don't know him at all, but, um, but someone that's coming from a structured, like, um, standpoint that, oh, this is going to move stuff, this is worth investing in, it's a different type of, like, you got it, yeah. you know? Also, Mute Records has always been, like, a family kind of uh, affair, and it's it's curated in a very uh, wonderful way that is very eclectic, you can't say that that there's just very different genres of music um, on mute records, but they all have a certain, I don't know, a certain authenticity or a certain intensity in common. And um, yeah, it's it's you know it's great to work with that label. I think that you know when um, you watch people for a long time. I mean, I can. I'm old enough to be able to say that too now. <laughs> um, you can kind of tell if they're developing or if they just kind of um, stay in a certain rut with which they started out with. And I think that's what labels are always looking for to see how people are developing over the years. And I think that he's been watching us for about 10 years that he's kind of been looking at, you know, what are we doing? And, um, you know, as, you know, as you say, Hitman's Heel was quite different from what we do now. And um, I think that if we had stayed in that place, we probably would not have been signed by them because they do like a certain kind of experimental quality to their stuff too. And I think that he just watched us and, and we worked really hard in trying to find our sound. It was like a, a lot of experimenting and trying out and trying this and trying that. And I think you can hear that, like you say, with the different albums that we did. And, um, and I guess that we were heading in direction that they thought was something that they could represent. Was it with Hitman's Heel? It's interesting because last time we talked, um, and we were, I was asking kind of about the nomadic lifestyle and recording music whilst traveling through all these different places. Um, you told me that a lot of the environment you're in is captured within the record, and uh, it feels like hit, like Hitman's Heel was the first record I listened to of you guys. I don't. It just popped up, and I'm like, I'll start here, and it it, it seems like that record was making the environment to some degree. Like, I feel like it was a really kind of encapturing a certain type of sound and a certain style where the records that followed after, like The Current and, like, The Silver Threshold are, like, uh, products of the environment to some degree. 
Is that does that hold true with silver uh, threshold? Yeah, well, Hitman's Heel, we um, that was what we our first our humble beginning, so to speak. And the one idea that we had about Hitman's Heel was that we wanted to write songs, and I emphasize songs that can be played under any circumstance. You know, like where, wherever there's a piano or wherever there's a string mm. uh, instrument, we could go and and play those songs. That was the idea. But we figured out pretty and no soon. no overdubbing, right? Yeah, there was, yeah. there was hardly any, yeah. Wow. Wow. Pretty much no yeah. overdubbing. <laughs> exactly. And, um, and what we figured out pretty soon that we were still stuck in very... Um, reactionary or conventional structures, if you will, because we were still working within like a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge kind of uh, uh, structure. And we, we decided that, hey, we are not bound by architectural structures anymore as we are moving about, as we are going all these different places. Why should our music be confined to these structures and we started to concentrate more on like a free interaction between each other and uh, and working on more conceptual approaches rather than just trying to write songs. That's so cool. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> um, now, so like in, in, in like um, in Silver Threshold, I feel like when I was listening to the first the first time listening through like that first track, I was like, "Oh, this is like," I thought it was four separate songs with how it trans like how it moved. Um, when like in which when I looked back at it and realized it was one song, I was like, "Oh, that's cool!" Like, cause there is this huge movement and like, so when you're when you're kind of like writing in this like uh, um, not uh, not bound way. Um, when do you decide to move? Like, when do you decide that it's the next part? Is it like just that part has said what it has to say? Or is it like it needs to go here? Well, I mean, um, I had a, I often have specific pictures in my head when I'm composing music. It's, it's kind of, um, I don't know, it's just like when I'm painting, I hear specific words, and when I'm writing, I hear music. So that's why I'm interdisciplinary, I think. Um, but in any case, for that first song on Silver Threshold, I had the feeling that somehow I wanted to have a beginning, like as if you were going to the theater. And you know when you're at the theater, at the beginning, like the orchestra is playing all these different sounds, and it slowly starts. And at the same time, I wanted it to be kind of like as if a new day was starting, like that kind of feeling, like um, sunrise. And so, because um, like one thing that's really important to us at the moment is thinking about, you know, Earth and climate change and what we're doing to our planet and what our planet is about. And for one, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. And so the idea of that song is kind of like, First, you're at the beginning of something like, you know, when the earth was born and it's like slowly awakening and it's beautiful and there's birds and there's all these wonderful sounds and stuff. And then comes this kind of threatening um, rumble from the background and it kind of engulfs everything. And that for us was basically mankind. And so that's kind of the theme of the whole album in a way. It's got a lot to do with that. So it's kind of like a little 
little taste of what's to come. Like I was I like listening through to the whole record because um, I've done it multiple times because I, I, I felt like there was a through narrative to it. And like and the, so, OK, so when you move from track to track, does that still track as far as like the narrative of um, the like the kind of invasiveness of or, or the waste, uh, the not appreciation for Earth from humans? Or is that just on that first track? It's it's definitely about mankind versus nature. Okay. Okay. And one thing one thing we knew when we started out uh, was the sequence of the songs. We we decided to write something that moves up a scale, uh, not chromatically. It's the overture. The first song is in C, then it moves to D, to E, to F, to G, to A, to B. You know, and and it it goes the entire album goes up. In a scale, and uh, so, so each it, song is yeah. like each song. Each song has has a different uh, bass note. That's so. That was one thing we we knew, as opposed to the other albums where we we the the sequence was the last thing that we would decide on. Here we knew exactly like for each level, if you will, of of the sequence, what we were trying to achieve. That's so cool. Oh man, I didn't put that together listening through. Like I heard it moving, but I didn't think about analyzing it like that. That's super cool. That and like in this, so it almost see like it, it's rising up into a new octave, a new like uh, a yep. new perspective of something. Um, exactly. The new perspective is like the thing, and and we also, in spite of like the dark, the darkness of you know man versus nature. We wanted it to stay positive in the, in a certain way, and that's why it moves up, because we didn't want you know we thought there's enough depression. We don't have to add to that. We want to have a subtle feeling of something going up in a positive way, even if there's like darker moments. I wonder now. Now I want now I want to go back and listen back to it, listen. knowing to it, and like <laughs> see if like okay on the on the. Okay, when they're on A, is that a minor song? Like, <laughs> does it follow the tonality of the scale? Like, like you, you know, what I mean, how like when you're building up the scale, C's major, D's minor, and maybe, I mean, I guess like the second song does got minor tone out. Like, I, I, I want to like hold on, let's pin this conversation. I'll call you back in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Let me come back with a specific. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, but th th that makes sense because if it's moving to have that positive outlook because it is it, what you described a major scale, so there's going to be the minor modes. There's going to be those those adaptation, uh, the appreciation for those darker moments. But when it resolves, it resolves. Ooh, in a weird way, does that like philosophically change the narrative that it resolves back where it started, but like higher? Well, the the threshold. The, the title, The Silver Threshold, it, it, um, it is about elimination. That's the, you know, like the, a threshold, like in an uh, initiatory right. Um, it's the, the moment right in the middle between the before and after, you know, if somebody mm -hmm. gets initiated into a new, uh, you know, in his tribe or whatever, there is the preparation to the ritual, and then there is the actual moment that divides the before and the after, and that's that's the kind of threshold moment, and that's what the whole 
album is about. It's the album is about uh, pointing towards that that moment where everything is possible or where there is a major change going to happen. Because we feel that that's the situation we're all in at the moment. And we feel like, you know, everybody knows it's like almost too late, but it's not quite. We could still do something to change, like, you know, climate change and all that. So we feel that this is the point of um, in between and the decisions that we make now are going to kind of like really decide our future and that's why it's a threshold yeah i mean it, it depends how you evaluate what the next stage is going to be but uh it's definitely not going to be the way it was before yeah that's for sure so what's kind of like this to analyze like the silver aspect of it because i was going through the other albums and the the current has a track called pretty silver and um i was i was wondering if silver was kind of like an underlying theme or is that like uh in this concept in uh in this um con concept um does it like (laughs) is that on on the current is called petty silver you know like your 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 change you know it's 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 not pretty (laughs) (laughs) pretty. um (laughs) and silver silver basically is is the uh, alchemical element of reflection silver is the uh, metal of the moon uh, as opposed to the sun to the gold of the sun so this is a moment or this is an image of reflection this is we are soaking up the energy from what is happening around us and uh, that's what makes the threshold silver well it's you know that's also got something to do with the cover and um We've already had a song before called um, Ipsa. Noskate Ipsum. Yeah, Noskate Ipsum on, um, on our album. On, me, on uh, Minetake. And it basically means, has the same theme because it's about know yourself. Know thyself. And that's, that's the thing about, you know, the mirror is that when you look into a mirror, you know, what do you see? And you should see yourself. And who are you? Who are you? And... I mean, that's the, that's the oldest philosophical thought, you know, that Socrates said. And it's the most important thing to be able to change things is to understand yourself. And that's basically what our album cover is about. And um, that's why it's called The Silver Threshold, because it's basically about the threshold, which we can only cross in a positive way if we look at ourselves and ask ourselves, who are we? What are we doing? And how can we ourselves take the responsibility to put things into um, a positive, you know, direction. So that theme is kind of going through our albums in general. It's always about, you know, hey, wake up, look what's happening. Minateka, for instance, the album that is called, that's writing on the wall. So it's kind of like, hey, the writing on the wall has been there for a long time. We better start taking that responsibility and looking into our own eyes to figure out what we have to do to make this go into a good direction. That's so cool. Uh, I can always count on you guys for coming out with some thoughtful, thought-provoking <laughs> stuff. That's so rad. Um, so, like, the kind of, like, um, dive into the kind of the climate change as- aspect of it. When you were traveling, did you notice a lot of climate change? Did you notice a lot of, like, is that kind of maybe what made it, like, to be kind of stagnant for a bit and kind of reflect on that? Or is this, like, something you're – I mean, I know it's global, but, like, throughout your travels, was it – more clear 
Well, we, we try to keep our carbon footprint as small as possible. We Within Europe, we don't travel by plane if we, if we can avoid it. So we're mostly on trains. We're schlepping our equipment, uh, <laughs> the two of us on trains, and that's what we do. So we hardly use, you know, we don't drive around in a van or in a band bus or anything or in a nightliner. And uh, we don't fly very much. Unless we're touring the states, where I suppose there's no real way around it if you want to be uh, efficient in any way. But um, yeah, so we, we you know we try to do our best. We we um, we're vegans. We we are very opposed to any commercial uh, dairy farming and all these kind of things. And uh, we don't you know we don't eat fish. We, we think that. Fishing should be banned, and um, you know that's that's uh, that's how we roll. Yeah, and I mean, of course, we have seen climate change too in the way that um, you know the hotter countries are getting so much hotter, and um, the oceans. I mean, those things that you everybody knows. I mean, it's not that difficult to see it. It's just shocking to see how little people feel it's necessary to change their own lives to somehow help change that. That's the thing that us most because it, I mean, everybody can tell something's happening. Everybody can feel it no matter where you are. I mean, I think yesterday there were like, there was another tornado in Kentucky or something where 50 people died. And you know, it's just like, there's so many things happening all the time, earthquakes and eruptions and stuff like that. And people just go on living as if, well, as if it didn't really, as if it didn't really matter how they live. That's kind of what really surprised us. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. That's why I kind of wanted that. That's why I asked about it. Cause like you got moving through different places. You're like, man, it's really hot here. This is ridiculous. You know what I mean? It's like for someone who's fairly stagnant, with where they live and as far as they travel, the it's hard to get that perspective that things are changing, you know. And like you see, like some people see media coverage of it, and like uh, there's ways to absorb that stuff's going on, but it doesn't necessarily resonate as like deeply as something that's happening right near you. So like being a traveler and being able to experience stuff even just in passing because i know a lot of travelers get to the gig and move to the next one and if you're schlepping everything man i've seen the setup that's got to be put a pin in that um but like so it's it, it's it's weird that that you can't get that perspective and like as someone who's stagnant but as someone who's moving you get to see that and witness that and like it is incredible that people just kind of like well uh I'll just use this cup again, you know, I mean? like, or I'll toss that out, I'll get a new cup. And it's little things like that that can make a bigger difference that it doesn't seem for someone who doesn't see where all that plastic goes or doesn't see how how that is affecting the greater picture. Right. I mean, I think it's great that, you know, the, that whole Fridays for um, Future movement has come up because, I mean, they're the first ones that are really making a lot of ruckus and noise about it because, um, I mean, I think that everybody can, I mean, don't you, like, hasn't your surrounding, for instance, changed, like, climate-wise? Hasn't it become hotter or colder or more tornadoes or more hurricanes or something like that? I mean, I think 
I don't really know any place where you can't really notice that it's different. I mean, it's not like there necessarily has to be a catastrophe, but right. it's something different, you know. Like Germany's pretty stable, but for instance, you know, we had those incredibly bad rainfalls with um, all that damage in the fall um, uh, with the flooding and stuff, and that's that's unusual for Germany, you know. Or like there was a there was a tornado in Hamburg. That's really unusual for Hamburg. <laughs> So there's like little things and it's not like the full scope, of course, yet. It's just the first little warning signals. Right. And yeah, people tend to ignore those little warning signals at the beginning. Yeah, the thing about, about this Friday for Futures movement is that it is actually a generation that is will be most impacted by these things. Like, I don't know how old you are, but um, I suppose that we will get, you know, the tail end of it. I mean, the math is pretty simple. If we don't keep the the carbon emissions down uh, or kind of eliminate the em emissions up to, say, 2032, then the Earth will warm up more than two degrees. And if the planet uh, warms up more than two degrees, then we're pretty much doomed. It means, you know, like... Uh, major shorelines will be reclaimed by the ocean and you know yeah. uh, islands will be swallowed by the sea it's very uh, it's very likely to happen you know and it, it's very soon too it's amazing that only two degrees you know what i mean like that seems such a small number how big yeah. an impact that is that always yeah. fascinated me like learning about like ecosystems as a going going through school and just like how if you remove one or 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 if one thing's changed how big an impact that has like the domino is going down but yeah it's um i'm 31 and it, the answer like the in ohio what i've noticed as far as like climate what seems different every year you know like around this time usually there's snow it's way more uh unbearable and yesterday uh -huh. it was like 60 degrees it's like <laughs> it's getting to be like spring. It's ridiculous. And wow. like it's 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 funny because you you bring it up to people and you're like, this is kind of weird, right? And everyone's like, oh, the climate or no, the the weather's always changing. You're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's strange. And it 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 sucks that something like that doesn't have to be political is politicized like that, and like mm. kind of makes it more difficult for someone that something but even if we change the topic to be helped and get the benefit of the doubt and be seen as someone trying to change something for the better once it's like politicized it becomes like this weird two-sided thing where there's a conspiracy behind it or there's a negative aspect to it or it's they're actually after the money like really it's just let's Let's keep it in this case. Keep it clean. Let's keep it. Let's keep all this the thing we all live on working. Um, right. So what's and I mean, that's, that's the thing too. I mean, it's also just you know that's that's what I was saying at the beginning. The theme also of the album is like um, realizing that these things are happening. At least with me, had the effect that I started looking at nature more closely and just realizing how incredible it is. I mean, there's like so many amazing things coming out at the moment, you know, that um, I don't know if you read that book about um, the secret of the trees and stuff and that, you know, what, how, how they actually 
influence each other, living in a forest, like standing in a forest and that mushrooms are like the social media of nature. And so I, have, I have some friends that are like really into mushrooms um, in Oregon. And they say that there's, there's, there's so many things coming out, like being discovered about mushrooms, which is just incredible. I mean, they're just like this, you know, incredible species and all of these things. And you start looking at nature and then you just want to protect it. You know, you just want it to, to, be able to go on doing what it's doing because it's just so beautiful. And, you know, you do see, like, even here in Berlin, you see people just throwing garbage on the street and stuff. And you're like, how can you do that? I mean, that's where it starts, you know. So that's kind of like it's an all-compassing kind of fascination with the amazing planet we're living on and um, what it's all about and what we're actually doing with it, how we treat it. And one does not necessarily have to put this explicitly as a theme in uh, in music. The thing that we try to achieve with what we do is it's kind of energy work because we like to uh, we like to empower people. That's what music does. It gives you it can give you the feeling that you are not alone, and it can motivate you, and it can empower you to. Uh, Think about yourself, think about your surroundings and stuff like that. So that's what we're trying to do. I definitely agree with that. It's interesting because like the neurologic kind of aspect of it, just one thing I've been kind of pondering on for a while is like um, when your brain listens to music, it's kind of calculating what comes next. And it, when it gets to like a resolve, like when it's a 5-1, when there's the attention built and then released – yeah, there's a dopamine spike so your brain likes that and it's actively trying to solve it and then mm. so when it becomes a form you kind of know or like a note right say it's a drone there's no there's no resolve to it but you know where it's going to go it's right there um what's on top of it starts to be heard more clearly i think because that there's already this like good feeling of like solving a thing right um so that i agree with what you said a hundred percent um can I, what's like, what's been a profound music experience for you that kind of in a moment of need um, resonated with you like that? Me? Yeah. Um, well, let's, sorry, well, well, we'll start with I Alexander, was, then Danielle. <laughs> like, <laughs> what moment was, was there for you? <laughs> when music was there for you like that? Uh, suicide. <laughs> when I was a little teenage boy, you know, like when I bought the first Suicide album, I was just like this kind of this completely changed my world i was just staring at the grooves of the record going like what the hell is going on who are these people and then there's just and there's just two of them one is singing and the other is making all this incredible sound and i didn't know anything about music and i just stared at the at the record and i was completely that's you know that was like an initiatory moment in my life listening to the first suicide record there's a before and an after. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. That's such a good record. Oh, yeah. Who? Wh what brought that record to you? Was there someone that was like, "You got to listen to this"? Or what? Oh, I would. I I would skip school and and go to this independent one of the first or one of the only independent record stores in the eighties here in Berlin, and I would skip school and and hang out there. And uh, the the proprietor he would get all these strange. Uh, independent records from all over the world the you know the plastic people of the universe from from the Czech Republic or um, 
the nihilist spasm band from London, Ontario, and Canada, and throbbing gristle, and all suicide, and the birthday party, and all these records. And I listened to all this stuff as a, as a kid, and I was I was blown away. So that all that music in say like 1980 that came out that year, and when I was 14 or something, that changed me. Did you ever get to see Alan Vega or any of the? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. now that you say that, I can listen. I hear that tonality with some of the songs, like the suicide tone. <laughs> That's so sick. Um, what about you, Daniel? Um, with me, it was pretty early on, too. It was um, basically my father gave me my first album, um, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. <laughs> okay. And I was like um, six or seven. And I mean, I grew up, my father was in the army, so we would move around every year. And um, I always kind of felt like an outsider because of that. I never felt comfortable anywhere. I was always kind of, I don't know, I, I was always feeling bad. I don't know, like, yeah, I didn't, like a misfit somehow. And um, when I when I heard that album, uh, for some reason, the music of Ennio Morricone made me feel like I was, somehow at home i had i had so, it somehow made me feel um as if i fit it just completely expressed exactly how i felt and so i just became a total morricone fan i just got everything i could from him and i still love him and he's been a huge influence on me so you know and also because my father was italo-american and that was kind of italian and you know yeah. inter- and stuff and you know Clint Eastwood and all those movies all those westerns and stuff so it was kind of like that mixture of Italy and America which kind of was like that feeling that I felt I was in between two and that and that definitely influences me up to today that um the bounce back kind of um I've heard about that book you were talking about I haven't read it my girlfriend was telling me stuff about it um is it, it, it like to kind of grow up in a in in a it's I guess to refer to your own work into a current like in a way where you're always moving, it really makes it hard to like develop the roots and like it's interesting like he, people we admire we always go back to nature to some degree, and what 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 do you guys think it is like for people to always have to move like and to admire something that doesn't like nature is I mean it moves in a different way, but as far as like. It's got its like if we look at a tree, it's got its roots planted, and like its whole entire existence is there. To some like I know there's like communication and stuff going through the roots, but like there's but you know what I mean like we as people move around everywhere, and especially when you're at a certain age, you get that that lust for travel, and then um they come back to admire something that hasn't moved. Um. Well, actually, um traveling isn't very healthy for humans it's interesting i was reading these um these things about that too about like what travel does to the let's say to the body and what actually is really important for humans is to get up at a certain time and to go to bed at a certain time because the organs all the different organs have different functions to different times of the day and night Mm. so actually you know like okay if you're if you're going to travel from like your place to 100 miles away, that's not that big of a deal. But let's say flying from one continent to the next, the jet lag stuff and all that, it's actually not at all healthy. And it's not really what nature meant humans to do. That's kind of what happened through civilization. And um, 
in a way, you know, of course, we're just part, just as much part of nature as anything else. And there are certain things that um, are healthier for us than we actually know and what civilization has taken away from us completely. So that's actually a really interesting question because if you look at it from a medical point of view, we would all actually be living completely differently the way we should be living that nature says. Now, of course, we as nomads are doing the exact opposite. And, um, you know, I guess that that's just the... the, the, you know, the human mind and the curiosity and the the sense of adventure that has always driven us to invent things and to discover things and stuff. And then again, that which we are part of nature. And that's always kind of been in a combat with itself. And I think that's also one of the reasons why everything's become so, so crazy, because, you know, we don't have that connection within ourselves anymore. That is the nature part. We've kind of really cut ourselves off of that. And I think that one really big thing that could help us was would be to to kind of go kind of discover in what way we actually um, can become more part of nature in a healthy wise. Of course, not going back to living into caves or anything. That's ridiculous. But somehow trying to find find our part in nature and not only be driven by that curious curiosity and and greed and um sense of adventure yeah i think it has to do with with resonance and with dissonance also that what you what makes you move about particularly as a young person is that you don't resonate with your surroundings you're in quite the opposite you know like you're you're in you're in dissonance with your surroundings and you search for everything is vibration. You search for a place where that resonates with you. And uh, on the other hand, uh, jet lag, I think is a very uh, interesting uh, thing. I used to, I used to say like jet lag is your soul trying to catch up with your, with your travels. You know, when you, when you do a a transatlantic flight, and you feel bad when you arrive on the other side, that's your your soul still being <laughs> somewhere mid you know mid journey and trying to catch up with you 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 uh arrive incomplete <laughs> <laughs> that's that's beautiful <laughs> well, that's that's a really inter- both really interesting perspectives of it like because even just like with a uh, the work culture of like, uh, like in America, like just the nonstop, like living in the hustle, always like, it seems to be the thing. Well, why, why don't you have your own business for after you work? You're like, there's this like un kind of acceptance of just being still for a moment. And like, um, I don't know if it's that, like to kind of put it in both contexts, like, the dissonance of like not knowing who you are because you're always kind of on the go. And like when you have a moment to like reflect on where you're at, not recognizing what this sound is or what this vibration or feeling is because you spent so long trying to like figure out or just do things you don't enjoy. That's one thing I noticed with a lot of um, friends who have lost their jobs or like switched jobs during like the shutdown they would have time to like kind of reflect on what they want to do now that they have time that they not commit to like doing the job they hated that defined who they were 
you know? Like some people yeah. just run this cycle of doing this thing that they don't want to do and they're kind of like it's almost to some degree this negative feedback that keeps them going because, oh, this sucks. And, like, at least, you know, whatever, everything's a bummer. But, like, when they got a moment to, like, really in, in, indulge in what, what their bliss may be, like, it was almost like they didn't recognize what it is. And uh, I've talked with a lot of – because I also – I work at an art gallery. I think I, I told you about this, Danielle. It's called Negative Space. Cause like, oh, yeah. you guys come through Cleveland – I definitely want to book you guys there. Um, but, like, um, I was talking with the the guy who owns the place, and he was he was like, yeah, this is every day. Like, I never know if I'm going to have money. This is great. Like, now I have time to do it, and now I can call my friends, and they're available. And, like, but some there that, that kind of stillness, too, is almost like a weird, like, uh, frequency that kind of, like, have to, like, understand. And it's, I think, in a, in a, in a way, we're all, like, very blessed to have like this this ambitious goal of trying to like coordinate sounds into some degree and express with that and share with that um all that being said is like <laughs> um with stillness now that you guys kind of had a moment do you th like did is that like what kind of like i feel like just the pen like with this record with the silver threshold like did was this a project do you think would have happened during your travels is maybe let me rephrase it like that. Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. And, uh, we really also did cherish the time that we had in order to be still and to kind of, uh, uh, go deeper and go more into detail with, with what we were doing. We, we work on very tight schedules, uh, always. And even this time around, we had a, for the production of this album, we had a pretty tight schedule, but it was a little more generous <laughs> than what we gave uh, ourselves than what we usually do. And I think, you know, I'm sorry to say this is bluntly, but you know, it's, it all boils down to capitalism, this, this permanent, permanent need to expand, you know, yeah. to the never being able to content, uh, to be content with, with where you are and to, to look into details of, of what is happening around you. And it's always the urge and you get pressed on by the system to, uh, to expand and to expand and to expand. And that's, I mean, nature doesn't work that way either. You know, major nature manages to establish certain, uh, systems and, and patterns and, uh, make them strong and make them, uh, flourish and, uh, make them more, make them more efficient. And it's not all about, uh, this limitless, uh, expansion that's, basically killing us and to have this to have had this time where we were forced to actually you know sit down and see what we can do with our own creativity and stuff that really helped us i think it, other people uh you know it there was advantages definitely yeah and um you know i mean that's the reason why we became nomads in the first place is that we said you know the rents are going up so high we're just constantly working to be able to pay the rent right. and you know it's like two-thirds of what we own what we earn goes to the rent and we're like this is ridiculous and of course you could on one hand you could have you could have said okay well we'll just get more jobs but then we said 
Well, if it's the rent, that's a problem. We're just going to get rid of the house. And then we're going to travel until we find a place where it's not that bad, you know. Yeah. And I mean, the situation we have at the moment, we still don't have an apartment. We sleep in our office and we have two studios and they're all around the corner. So they're really close and it's really practical. And basically it's fine. You know, we have a place where we sleep and then we walk around the corner and then we work in our studios. We're extremely modest and we just kind of concentrate on our work. And if we're not working, we try and go out and, and look at stuff, you know, and it's, it's like, we kind of like the thought, like our, our, um, like it, everybody tells you all the things you have to have, you have to own, you have to, you know, it's all about that. And, but actually when you come down and think about it, it doesn't have to be all of that. And if you don't, have to work for all of that then you can actually relax a little bit more so it's it's kind of like also another one of those decisions like okay well if i want all that stuff that the industry is telling me that i need i'll obviously have to work like crazy but if i kind of tell myself actually i can be pretty happy without it you know it kind of changes that rat race a little bit too so again it's also back to looking at yourself and saying so what is really important for me what's the essential what is really what is the essential thing that makes me happy? And do I need all that other stuff that I'm constantly being told I need? Do I really need it? No. Because a lot of, I've been having a lot of discussions lately with uh, friends who are kind of in this place that they don't know what they want to do, right? And they're like, do they want to live the work or work the live? And like, it's that's such a, a beautiful self reflection to realize that, like, one, all this stuff's being sold to you. You know, the kind of like hone down the capitalistic aspect of it, like most products are being told why you need it, you know, like as opposed to you. I mean, there's tools and stuff, especially with the trade, like right now talking into a microphone to do this and like to gain insight. There's a much more uh, rich experience from buying this microphone, which is getting to talk with you guys. So there's, you know, there's things you you can benefit from, but those things and like to some degree it's all sold but like i don't i don't know i find it i find that really fascinating that you guys were able to recognize that and step back that's super super cool cuz not too it's so easy to kind of fall into it like yeah you know these shoes do kind of got a you know they are kind of worn out and like <laughs> you know it's so easy to to be like i i guess i could use a, another jacket uh well the, the the thing is they with with the microphone that you that you bought um, you are now responsible for that microphone because um, you know you have to take care of it you have to make sure that it doesn't get wet you have to make sure that it doesn't get the the wrong current on it if it's whatever phantom powered or whatever and uh, and so this basically adds to your workload you know like aside uh, yeah. from Aside from the things that you have to do, being a teacher or being a musician, you now also have the task of taking care of that microphone. You know, so that basically adds to the things that you have right. to do. Right. I never <laughs> thought of it like that. You're right. Because somebody, like, how many times did you go drive to Kyle's house to pick up your uh, your your book you lent him? Well, now it's a whole now it's a whole thing. You got to drive there to get the book because it's your book. You're responsible for it. Wow, that's a that's a super that's that's pretty profound. I never thought of it like that. Um, and when you get yeah, it, <laughs> that's cool. Um, 
Man, the kind of another thing within that, um, talking about the album cover, there was the um, sorry, sorry if I'm jumping around. <laughs> There's so many fascinating things with with what you guys do. Um, the Fibonacci sequence, and it's like kind of imposed up and down, like over you, um, Danielle, and uh, you, Alexander. Um, is like as far as like kind of exor- uh, expanding on like the nature metaphor of it. Um, was that the particular reason is, or was it serve another purpose that I'm missing the point on? No, no, it was basically about the fact that there's patterns in nature and they're everywhere. And it's fascinating to look at that. That's just basically another aspect of nature and, um, and the things that we're, you know, that we're delving into and that we're interested in. Okay. Um, Another, another, like, kind of being at the standstill a little bit and not being able to travel as much. Um, the song "Evermore" apparently was your guys' first love song. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, is it was having this kind of time not moving, like, to appreciate each other? Is that kind of what brought that out as well, or is that just a? I imagine with as much time as you guys spend together doing the creative endeavors, it'd be kind of hard to like express that to someone who you're doing everything with <laughs> you know like to like to the live, complications to, of a relationship in general you mean right right well just like i feel like when you if you would present a song a love song to somebody you would want it to be like this like uh, perfect thing to some degree or perfect expression not perfect let me honest expression right no, you have the, here we have the urge to expansion again you can, <laughs> can uh, your love to something you know that you already have (laughs) (laughs) or someone that you already would you know but basically that that song came about that we were you know we were in this pandemic and we were thinking like okay everything was we were like in a lockdown for almost seven months here in berlin um and uh we were like okay we can only go shopping we can't go out we can't do we can't do concerts nothing and it was it was okay nonetheless because we were there together and it was kind of like you know um you kind of no matter what the catastrophe is if you're not alone but you have a friend or somebody that you love close to you and you can do it you can bear through it together that's the most important thing i mean like you know nothing else counts and that kind of boils to what's really important and so the song is basically about um, about that. I mean, it's 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 a, it sounds like we're standing in a storm because that's the way we felt is that we're standing in this huge pandemic storm, this huge crazy situation, and the only thing that we have is each other to hold on to, and basically tell each other how much how thankful we are that the other is willing to share this with us in spite of our you know, per- faults and weaknesses and, and all that was still like, you know, the, the, um, the honor of having somebody share that with you is just something so beautiful that we thought, um, we would have to, we wanted to write about that. So it's, it's a love song, but it's, it's a love song to each other. So it's not one person saying it to the other, but it's kind of like us singing it together to each other. And then basically also singing about, um, love and friendship per se and saying that is the most valuable thing that we have that we own that's beautiful um 
So with the kind of shift gears in a way, like with a with a project like this, I know you guys need to do your own endeavors, and like um, so there's got to be some type of creative practice individually. When does is there a point? Do you guys make a point to work together on certain things, or is it just when, like it like is there like a, to some degree like a kind of routine where you guys will work on material together for the next record? Uh, or we'll just work on material together to make music. Well, you know, the, and the day is just twenty-four hours long, unfortunately. So we we do uh, <laughs> we do schedule our our work. We uh, when we um, when we write, we write, and we say like we have two weeks to to write the album. And then we have two weeks to record the album. And then we have 10 days to mix the album. And we we are really, uh, we applied for a grant uh, to do this. We, we already applied one for from, from the government here for the current. But this one, we, we applied uh, during the pandemic. And... Um, and the uh, the government institution they're kind of really amazed how um, efficient and how how actually uh, how close to our uh, estimates we ended up um, working so we we do that we uh, set certain times and we're not not like in the old days sloppy like we start whenever we wake up we actually set our alarm and we wake you know we do a little exercise we <laughs> you know, get fit and um, and uh, work, and uh, it's hard to do other things while we are working. And then when we've done all of that, we're so sick of each other that everybody does <laughs> a different project on their own. <laughs> and then, like you know, I go off and do an exhibition paint or something, and Alex goes off and and does like a. Um, an electronic sound set or does music for a movie and, you know, and then we get asked to do music together for us, a movie. So then we're back together and then we, we get, we get through that and then we're happy to go back to other projects. So it's kind of like, you know, it's like, um, what is it? The ebb and flow of <laughs> the tide. The yeah. tides. Yeah. Um, kind of get thrown together. We do it. And then we, we separate a little bit. I mean, it's important to, you know, have time on your own, 100%. And the thing also with us is we don't do any jobs on the side. We live off our art. And uh, that's very unusual in many places and even here. And that's also... That means like we have to work 24 hours a day. This means that we have to work very hard on our art. But um, we kind of... uh, this is kind of it's a political stance also we think that artists should not be forced to do other work they artists should be able or should be enabled by society to put their utmost energy into their artistic work and that's that's what we do and uh, and that's something that needs to be acknowledged by by governments more yeah, that, you know, being a musician or an artist doesn't mean that you can, like, spend 
and it shouldn't mean that you have to spend have a day job and then do your art or music at the night. It should be taken as seriously as all other jobs and acknowledge that if you want to be good in what you do, you have to like be able to have the time to do it. And so um, because of that, we have to work like maniacs. I mean, it's, you know, we have, I have had interns that have quit like within, I don't know, the shortest amount of time. Cause they were like, this is crazy. I can't work this much. It's like, you know, we get up at nine and we work until 12 or one or two or whatever, or more. And we don't have holidays. We never, like it never stops. And most people are just like, I can't do what you're doing. I want a day job. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not the path of least resistance. You know? <laughs> it's definitely not a leisurely lifestyle. It's exhausting. <laughs> oh, the, well, yeah, it totally, it, it totally makes sense because it, it's something, one, you're passionate about. So to some degree, though it's endless, the endless hours of it has to be, I mean, it still works, so, but it still has to be somewhat enjoying enjoyable uh, at least to some degree at least when it's all done you're like i did that <laughs> maybe not the process of yeah of course i mean that's the great thing about it it's crazy and a crazy amount that we have to do to be able to survive but then you know about 80 percent of what we do except doing taxes and all that stuff um is something that we love doing so it's it's okay that makes it i mean that's okay you know yeah. that makes it terrible I love how you guys that like you have like eighty percent. You have like the numeric the numeric value for that's amazing because um, that means <laughs> that's put, the other thing. That's the other thing. <laughs> and Danielle can tell you everything in a percentage. <laughs> that's incredible though, because that means you put that much forethought into when that would happen. Like that's so badass. <laughs> Oh, with, with okay, with on that. a scale of one to ten, <laughs> I love doing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, with that, um, does so kind of how how hard is it to say no to certain like gig opportunities or recording endeavors because of because it is full force all the time? Well, we don't really say no unless okay. it's something <laughs> that's really like quality wise, um, not good. Yeah, like something that we don't, we're not interested in, quality-wise. Otherwise, um, if we get commissioned, we do it. That's, we're happy to get commissions. <laughs> that's awesome. Because I, I, it's, I've recently been like looking at all the choices I've been making, uh, for gig-wise, and I, it's always like, yeah, yeah, sure, okay, cool, yeah, you know what, I can run from that thing to this thing and make both shows, and then we can reschedule the interview thing for later, <laughs> like. Right, exactly. I find myself running that wheel like nonstop. That like, am I am I really just chasing the passion, or am I just a workaholic? I don't know. Right, that is a question, actually. <laughs> do, what, what, what do you guys think for yourselves? <laughs> like, well, people say that I'm a workaholic, but I just say I'm having fun, so I don't know. <laughs> so goes, if I'm a workaholic, I don't care. At least it's. it's <laughs> It's a moving, transcendental work. Then it's not just yeah, like yeah, and it happy. You know, yeah. it's like it's kind of the only thing that really makes me happy is like working on music or art together with somebody. That's just the thing that makes me happy. I'm not interested that much in buying and shopping and stuff like that. I'm not. I don't know. I like reading. I'm pretty. I'm pretty simple in that. I like reading. I like. I love everything I do. I love doing it together with other people. 
And that's about it. I mean, I'd like a dog at one point, but <laughs> <laughs> at the moment we can't we can't really yeah. afford having one because of our lifestyle. But um, it's, I, we'd like to like our dream is to find a place in the country and turn it into a you know art residency space and invite people from all over the world that we've gotten to know and kind of like create a hub of creativity. Um, that's our dream. That's basically like we don't we don't think about, you know, owning a lot of stuff or all that stuff. It's more just creating energy and generating energy and having good friends and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, you know, of course, sometimes I wish I wouldn't have to do all the marketing petition, particularly like with commissions works. You know, where you do the creative work and that that takes you, you know, say an hour, but then explaining what you did to the client uh, takes a few hours more than that. And that's that's, of course, is tiring. But aside from that, I I I don't think (laughs) I don't think I can rationalize what I do. I, I, I just say I don't have a choice. I have to do what I do. And uh, I, you know, I cleared out my locker when I was 15 years old in school and decided I would be a musician. And I was lucky enough that it has worked so far. I'm 56 now. And, um, and I don't know what I, what I would be doing instead. You know, so I suppose I just keep on doing what I do. Well, you did once say you wanted to become a beach I would like to teach children swimming. I think that that would be a thing I could, I could live with. But, um, <laughs> I, 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 I teach children music and I would not want to get those kids near a pool. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the last place I would like to take those children. <laughs> oh man. But, um, that's that's you know it's it's interesting because it's at, to some degree it's like this kind of like uh, weird trap for yourself and but it's different because all these gigs or or commissions are are some like level of opportunity where you're gonna meet someone or work some with someone in, in a way you haven't before to in like when you were I feel like with making some creative endeavor. Um, the input output theory is always there. You're always trying to take in so you can put out like whatever it is. And like, and even if it's just put out understanding, you know? Um, so like, it's really hard once you, once you commit to doing something like music or not even commit, just start doing something like music or, or painting or whatever creative endeavor. It's really hard to turn off that, that need to keep taking in because there's, there's a spark with that opportunity to like, understand and and express like it's a weird like uh it's a weird both ends of it is like this it it feels good i don't know um so i can i can totally like empathize and understand with what why it's infected you guys so so dearly it's again it boils down to resonance you know what you are passionate about you know for for us it's music or it's it's the arts or whatever, you know, I can, I can perfectly to relate. I can perfectly relate to somebody who says, I'm a, I'm a mechanic. What I do is I like to take engines apart and put them back together. And I, I love the feel of, of motor oil on my fingers. And, and that's 
that's what I do. Or yeah, you, I you think know. that's I think that's really important. I think one thing I I kind of watch is that I think that every single person alive has one thing that they really really love doing, and, and often yeah. they do something else which they think they should be doing instead of doing that one thing that really makes them happy. And I think that if most people would just do what they love doing, which they would probably do best anyway, then um, people would be a lot happier. Like I, you know, there's like, I don't know. I've seen that with a lot of people, a lot of friends that they're doing like one job, but actually there's something else that they really, really love doing, and they could actually make a profession out of it. But for some reason, they're doing something else because they think maybe it's easier or it's more practical or it's – I don't know. I think that's some, it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting thing, and I think that when you're doing something that you really, really love doing, you resonate most. And I think that that has an impact on the society too, you know? Definitely. So, Yeah. Definitely. No, I definitely like, like with what you guys are doing, it's inspiring everyone around you because you're doing it. And like, even if it's something like expressing yourself, like via film or via mu uh, music, like just seeing, having your friend who's around you be working as, as crazy as you guys are all the time. They're like, man, I'm lazy. And like, it's not like a put down, but it's like, they're really hustling at this thing. Like, what can I do? And like that, I think starts to become a positive aspect of, of like maybe the workaholism, um, <laughs> because like <laughs> you're, you're influencing others to hopefully find their own thing to be crazy, passionate about and follow through. And like, but also I think sometimes people see that and they're like afraid to, to commit to taking what they, they enjoy doing and maybe afraid that they can't do it to that level. You know, because I, I, I've also experienced that with a lot of friends, and I'm like, I don't know how to, it, aside from being encouraging, how to, like, encourage someone. Like, so, I, I know some musicians are fabulous songwriters, and they just they just got tired with trying to learn how to record or just didn't want to go record, and now they're, now they're done with it, and they're just kind of wandering. I'm like, oh, man, those songs are so good. Record them. And, like, so I don't know what that is, but I think that that's, like, the, the kind of, like, um, the break between um, it's not even people that are talented enough to do a thing, but uh, can are talented or mentally talented enough to endure learning how to do it. Well, that's the thing. That's what I mean. Like that one thing that every single person has that they really love, they do that without effort. They'll do that, like, you know, let's take a computer nerd. He'll sit at the computer for, like, 16 hours trying to figure something out. But if you ask him to, like, you know, go and practice the violin, it'll be like, okay, I'll do it half an hour, but then I'm really bored. So it really depends if you're somebody that loves, you know, gardening – You'll do that for hours and not even notice how time flies by. But if you have to go cook and you don't like cooking, it'll seem like forever and 15 minutes are too long. So if you're doing something that you really love, um, you'll do that 100%. And everybody does that one thing that they really love 100%. You know, it's, yeah. that's, that's, that's the difference. If you're doing something that you don't really 100% love – then it seems like an effort, you know, you don't want to do it for that long. And that's why we, we can do that so extremely because that's just what makes us happy. If it wasn't, if it didn't make us as happy as it make us, makes us, 
we wouldn't be able to work as hard as we do. It's like that's, that's why it's so important to like really find that one thing that you love so much that you can do it for hours on end and you just don't you don't even notice, you know. And that can and be anything. It can be anything. Here we go again. This is this is the power structure. You know, some somebody who is content and with doing the things that I, that they're passionate about. Well, they're very hard to uh, as as a consumer. They kind of fail because it's very hard to sell them anything. You know, if they're really you know if they're already content with what they're doing, and also and so that's what the industry doesn't want. Uh, well, right? what that what the system doesn't want, what, right. the, what the government doesn't want. You know, and and also the other thing is you're very hard to be controlled if you are doing the thing you are passionate about. If you are if you are fulfilling your your life's aim, what you are meant to be, um, it's very hard for someone in up in the power line to tell you what you should be doing instead. Like, you know, go to war. I mean, if you're really happy as a baker and baking bread, you know, and you're really, really happy doing this, um, you know, it will be hard to... Um, to tell you to do something else instead. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And like there's that fulfillment that leaves that that maybe consumer thing that's fulfilled by not knowing what you like or who you are or what you do. You buy all these things to try to fill that void of exactly. like you know, yeah. trying to figure out who I am. Like how many self-help books <laughs> you know are there like and there're a lot. And those I'm not trying to, you know, those help people who need those and I'm not going to I'm not going to uh poo poo on those but like it, it there's definitely a void and i think someone who's content with having uh a passion and having the tools they need to do i know to bake i need this oven and, the, and the, these gloves and and that's it <laughs> i don't need to buy anything else hope they'd be a really interesting baker but you know what i mean like there's no need to kind of fulfill this thing and like i don't uh, it, it, and part of it may be that the effortless thing becomes bound by effort too. kind of like thinking about it like maybe like as soon as that thing you do effortlessly requires different types of effort you know what i mean like uh to put it like marketing for music well i don't want to do that that's uh, it, you really got to want to put in that effort to do the thing that you do effortless effortlessly um more <laughs> you know because if not, like it just that maybe that's part of it too, for um, some of the some of the people that can't find the thing they want to do and go full force at it. People get people get envious too. Yeah. See, like the the guy working at the at the tax office, if he looks at us as a self self employed musicians, he looks at our expenses and goes like, "Oh, look at them! They're traveling there, there, there. They're living it up. They're living the." The high life, and uh, so they're going. He's going to check us harder than, say, the self-employed news agent who runs a newsstand, right. you know. And, and uh, I would, I would claim that both of us work very hard, but our life looks a lot more glamorous, um, and uh, and therefore people will, you know, will be envious and will be suspicious of our lifestyle. For sure, for sure. There's definitely, it's definitely way harder than it looks. <laughs> like, oh yeah, 
Ask my interns. <laughs> they were like, they ran. <laughs> they ran with flying hair. Oh, they were like, I'm out of here. This is crazy. <laughs> but they got that experience. <laughs> yep. They certainly did. <laughs> uh, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for taking time to chat with me. Um, I really appreciate this conversation and your work. It's always enlightening and always makes me think in different ways. And uh, um, congratulations on getting on Mute Records. Um, before we kind of wrap it up, is there anything else you guys want to plug? Oh, it's always such a joy talking to you and speaking to you. Thank you so much. It really is. Like you're um, – you're really special <laughs> in that way. Well, no, really. You. I appreciate that. Every time, yeah. Um, but awesome. <laughs>